it's um it's really good to see you guys and uh i want personally want to thank independent press for having us here today i always love coming to this building it's a beautiful building awesome church and uh we're going to continue in our study um, of the life of Christ. We're going to continue in our study through a harmony of the Gospels. Remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're, we're studying the earthly ministry of Jesus, his earthly ministry from the time that he was born, the time that he became a man and became flesh and dwelt among us, to his ascension, his resurrection. His resurrection is ascension. And so <clears throat> I wanted to start by reading a quote. Um, from a guy named D.A. Carson. He's just, he's a commentator. He wrote this. The climax of biblical revelation is Jesus, the son and servant who God loves and with whom God is well pleased. It says, even Elijah and Moses, the law and the prophets, assume supporting roles where Jesus is concerned. Okay? So the entire Bible is a story of God and his plan to save his people. And it starts all the way back in Genesis and it goes all the way to Revelation from Alpha to Omega. But the whole story, all of it, every bit of it, from Moses all the way to the book of Revelation, it all, the purpose of all of it, is to lift and exalt Christ Jesus. Every bit of the Bible points to him. Every bit of it. And we need to make sure that we understand that. I want to show you. Um, we got our text in Matthew 17. Um, before we read that, I want to go over to Luke chapter 24. This is something that we've talked about in the past. Some of you all have been a part of our class and will remember this passage in Luke chapter 24. Remember Jesus um, had been raised from the dead. It was the morning of the resurrection, and he was on a road walking with some of the disciples. The disciples were sad. They didn't understand what had happened to their Messiah. And uh, he uh, he had been resurrected, but he, he's on the road walking with these disciples, and they don't even recognize it's him, and he's talking to them. So in Luke chapter 24, it says uh, in verse 24, Luke 24, 24, and some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as it was. The woman also, the women also had said, but him they did not see. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe all in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and come into his glory. So Jesus chides the disciples for unbelief. What do, what do I mean by that? They couldn't see it. And what did he say? You foolish and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So what does that mean? They were missing seeing Jesus. Yes, but it was their lack of understanding of the prophets, of the law and the prophets that kept them from being able to see the fulfillment in Jesus. Because all of Moses and all of the prophets are about Jesus, but they made it about them. It was about their sacrifice and what they were doing and their burning incense. And, and that's right. And that's what Paul says later in, in uh, uh, Corinthians. He says, he says that 
that they have a veil over their face that the law of Moses has hardened their eyes so that they can't see Jesus. So what happens? They see Moses, but they can't see Jesus. They see Elijah, but they can't see Jesus. Okay, now, it, when he's even speaking to his disciples a little later on, um, in Luke 24, verse 44, he's appeared to his disciples, and listen what he says to them. Now, he said to his disciples, this is Luke 24, 44. Now, he said to his disciples, These are my words, which I have spoken to you while I was still with you. All the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. Luke 24, verse 44 and 45. He said to his disciples, these are my words. Now remember, when Jesus is saying this, the New Testament has not been written. Okay. All right. This is 30 years before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or any of them would begin to even write about Jesus. Okay. These are my words. So what is he talking about? The Old Testament. Yeah. From Genesis to Malachi. Mm-hmm. These are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So in Psalm 23, when we learn as kids, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. You remember Psalms 23, the Psalm of the Good Shepherd? Well, remember, right before Jesus went to the cross, he stared into the face of the men who were going to nail him to the cross and said to them, I am the Good Shepherd, and I lay my life now for my sheep. So what does he say that song that y'all sing in synagogues, that song that y'all sing in the temple, is about me. Yep. Yeah. So he was telling the Jewish that were putting him to death that when he said it. I am the good shepherd, and the reason you don't believe me is because you are not my sheep. Right, my sheep know, know my voice. At that point, exactly what he was saying. And they they knew exactly him. what he was claiming, and they said that he was a blasphemer and a liar because he was claiming to be the Son of God, that he was claiming to be the fulfillment. How could they not be terrified? Well, the same way that we're not terrified when we sin. We just go out and do the things we do, and then we feel yeah, sad about it later. Some people aren't terrified about it. Just, they don't feel like All right. So, the point that I'm trying to get to before we read the text today is that the entirety of Scripture is about Jesus. And the Scriptures have always point us to Him. And when you read the Scriptures and you begin to make them about you, you are making the same mistake that the Jews made. You're making it centered on you and about you instead of it being centered on Christ and about Him. So the entire point of Scripture is to lift up Christ so that we can all know Him, see Him, hear Him, receive Him, believe Him, know Him, be saved by Him, and be with Him. Be one with Him. You see how that works? That's the point of the Scripture. All right, so now back to to Matthew 17. And let's go ahead and open up with a word of uh, prayer and then we'll get started. For um, my uncle, he's the last of the seven siblings, and he's the one who um, lost his son about a month ago. And so he's he and his family are having a tough time. Okay. 
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this time to come together and to study your word and to fellowship together as your children. We thank you for all that you have done for us, the many blessings that you pour on our lives. Thank you for the lunch that was provided for us today, for the, the kind ladies who took time out of their day to prepare with their hands a meal for us. We, uh, we come to you with our needs and recognizing that there are many here in this room and many around us, family and loved ones who are struggling in this world that we live in. And we lift them all to you now, especially for an uncle who has lost his son. Um, you know who he is. You know the entire uh, ramifications of that situation. And we just pray that you be with him and his family and allow him to know you through his struggles. And so be with us now as we seek to understand you more, to know you more, to recognize you more, to know you in spirit and in truth so that we can properly worship you. And now we open your word uh, to do just that. So speak, O Lord, uh, as your disciples listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and read the text all the way through. And and then we'll then we'll get back to the what, what we're learning. It says, uh, this is Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared with him. And talking with him, Peter responded and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you want, I will make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said to them, Get up and do not be afraid. And raising their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone when they were coming down from the mountain jesus commanded them and said tell the vision to no one until the son of man has risen from the dead and his disciples asked him why then do the scribes say that elijah must come first and he answered and said to them elijah is coming and will restore all things but i say to you that elijah has already came and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they wanted so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that Jesus had spoken to them about John the Baptist. All right, Lori's already got a befuddled look on her face. And our, our, our task in this class is to get that befuddled look off of her face. So hopefully and prayerfully as we go through this passage, as we go through this text today, some of our questions will be answered. All right? Question number one. Elijah was just a man. Okay. And God loved him. So how can he restore all things? Okay. So, hold on, Lori. So that's verse 10, 11, and 12. And we have verses 1 through 9 to get through before we get to that question. So, so let's, let's go through the text and talk about what it teaches. And then maybe by the end of it, we won't have a question. We'll see. 
We'll see. You know, you know, I know you don't have a question. All right. So number one in verse uh, one, it says six days later. Now, six days later from what? Well, we had just in our last class. And our no, he hadn't risen from the dead. Oh, yeah. Thursday, no, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. In our last class when we were together, remember we had talked about um, Jesus had been telling his disciples had to, how they had to take up their cross and follow him, and that that was not a comfortable thing. A few days before that, Peter had recognized that you are the Christ, the Anointed One. Remember, and what did Jesus say to him? Blessed are you, son of uh, uh, Simon, uh, because. Uh, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Spirit of God. So what is it saying? Peter has a heart to see the deeper things. He has a, he is a, a believer, a follower of Christ, and by hearing Christ's words, his eyes have been opened to the fact that Jesus is Messiah. Now, in the very next statement, Jesus, what did you say? Blessed are you, Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But in the very next statement, what did he say? Jesus said, I'm going to the cross to die. And what did Peter say? Oh, no, you're not. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. And so in one instance, um, Peter was uh, following uh, the truth and realizing the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. But a part of the truth of the Messiah is that he is going to be not only a servant, but a sufferer. Remember? He's going to suffer. Now, where would that come from? All in the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah 53 talks about him being the suffering servant. In Psalm 22, just before the Lord is my shepherd psalm, uh, it's a psalm of suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? My heart is melted like wax. My All my bones are exposed. They're gambling for my clothes. They're piercing me in my side. All of these things in Psalm 22 written. That was the cross. Yeah. 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 But that one uh, guy was next to him that said he believed that he was Christ. He ended up dying with him. Yeah. So so think about this. Nine hundred years before Jesus was ever born, his great grandson David Mm -hmm. wrote a song about a sufferer, one who was going to suffer. And who was he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. And so, right, his his great, 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 great grandfather, 42 generation great granddaddy, or or 28 or however many generations great granddaddy. So, but think about that. So, David wrote Psalm 23, too, by the way. So, when you think about that, what Jesus, what Peter is recognizing is you're the Messiah. But he won't put two and two together and realize that the Messiah had to come and suffer. He's thinking of a political ruler that's going to come and stomp all of Peter's enemies down and let Peter rule and reign with him on high. That's like, woo I like that. I like that noise, right? But, but what did Jesus say to Peter later on? He said, he said, you've gone wherever you wanted to in your life, but one day people are going to take you and they're going to drag you into places you don't want to go. Meaning what? That Peter was going to suffer the same fate as his, his Lord and Savior, that he was going to die a martyr. All right. Now, uh, we'll get more into that in a minute. So, in the beginning of our text, this is six days later. This is after Jesus had revealed to them that he was the Messiah, that Peter had recognized that he was the Messiah, and now it's six days later. And and, And if you look back in verse 28 of chapter 16, it says this, Jesus told the disciples, Truly I say to you, there are some of you who are standing here who will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So there was a promise made to the disciples that some of them would see him coming in his kingdom before they ever tasted death. 
Now, a lot of people think that this is part of what he meant, that he's going, they're going to see him in his glorified state. So the, remember, we've talked about the kingdom of God before in the past. That has been a, that is a major theme of Jesus' earthly ministry. The kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. And remember, we said the kingdom is the king's what? Who remembers that? King's domain. The king's domain. It's where he rules. So is this world the kingdom of God? Not this fallen world, but the kingdom of God is present in this fallen world, is it not? But there, there we go again. After Jesus rose, uh, he beat death. Yes. So is this not God's kingdom now? Well, he the cross was where he staked his claim on this world. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. I never thought of it like that. And so what's been happening ever since? So what happened after he staked his claim at the cross? He sent his spirit to do what? Coming to reclaim the kingdom. Right. And it's happening before our very eyes every day, but we can't see it, can we? Right. Right? How, how many, how, how, none of you in this room, myself included, understand, maybe you shared some scriptures with some young man on the side of the road or some young lady that you met in the street and five years later those seeds that were planted mm-hmm. come to fruition and they became a believer the kingdom is being established all around us all the time and we can't see it because just like Peter just like the disciples just like every other human being we live in this world and we have natural eyes and unfortunately most of the time it's our natural eyes our natural mind our natural emotion our natural feelings that drive our understanding. Well, and I think that we're not supposed to see it. We can plant the seeds and, and, and our hearts don't need to be deceived with our own ego. Right. So, but our understanding of the kingdom is, is that Jesus is coming to rule and reign. And that's very true. Mm-hmm. And he is going to come and... Uh, uh, judge the quick and the dead, and that's very true. And he's going to come and separate the sheep from the goats and, and the weeds and the dead. And that's going to be very true. And he, yes, Lori, and he will be able to answer every question you have. Okay. This is a silly question. It says, Judge the quick and the dead. Yeah. What is the, I've got an idea what the dead is, but who is the quick? Quick to be quickened means to be made alive. So, what, to be made alive. To be, to be quickened means to be made alive. So when he okay. saved you, when he gave you a new heart, you were quickened. Okay. All right. Now, some people would say that that means the when Jesus comes back, he's going to judge all the ones that were already dead and all the people that are alive right now. But it actually means that he's going to judge every person that's ever lived, mm-hmm. both the, the unregenerate, the unbelievers, and believers. Remember, we as believers are going to go... Everyone who's alive and dead and has died. Yes. And remember, we're going to go through the judgment too. Now, there's no con. Now, remember, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, which means all of our sins have been paid for. But we are. So, remember, to separate the sheep and the goats in itself is a judgment, isn't it? Is that a judgment? Yes. You're a goat. You're a sheep. You're a wheat. You're a tear. That's judgment. That's that's a judgment in itself. And not only that. Every one of us in this room, as regenerate, quickened children of God, made alive, we're going to answer for the life that we've lived here on the earth. Like, what have you done with the gift of salvation that He's given you? So what happens with that? Well, what Peter... And what did Peter say? Uh, What did Paul say? Paul said that at the judgment that all of our works would be tried as with fire. Mm -hmm. And the things of gold would stand and the things that are uh, wheat, hay, and stubble would be burned up. 
So there's a lot of things that you have done for the kingdom's sake in your own power and your own ability and your own strength that are going to be not matter at all. And there's going to be some things that you did that you didn't even realize you did that are going to stand as gold. At, uh, there was something at, else I had a question on this, okay? I was told by a friend of mine who's a preacher. What? He, uh, he told me that when God comes, when we go to heaven, we are not being judged by our good deeds that's been done on the face of the earth. We are being judged or trialed by the, however you say it, uh, blessing. I guess it wouldn't be All right, okay, let me answer that real quick because we do have to get back to this. Okay. At, on the final day, our works will be judged as whether they were in our flesh or for the kingdom's sake, like in of God. Was it Christ working through me or was it me and my own physical strength and abilities trying to do something? You see? And all of the, all of the things that are of Christ that the, uh, the Spirit led with His Spirit leading me are going to stand. They're going to be gold because it's, he, it's not I that live but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And so there will be a judgment. With what have I done with the breath that He's given me? What I will I will have to be accountable for my actions. Now, will I be condemned and sent to hell? No. But I will my my works on this world will be proven whether they were God. Everything's burned up and there's nothing left. Then you you still have your robes of righteousness and you'll go to heaven. That's a positive Okay, good. All right, now, so we have this mountaintop experience. They they leave the crowd. They leave the rest of the crowd, and they separate themselves from the crowd, and they go up. Now, that's very important. If you will remember in the Old Testament, we're fixing to meet Moses, and we're fixing to meet Elijah, all right? Um, and we need to remember that God revealed himself to Moses where? On Mount Sinai on a mountain. He went up to the mountain to receive the law. No, not the bush, the burning bush. That was on the mountainside. But Mount Sinai was where Moses went up to get the law. Good. So Moses went up to a mountain and met who? Jesus and was given the law. Elijah went to the mountaintop and God spoke to him. Remember in the still voice? So there's this is kind of a picture of us. To go to God, we have to what? Ascend. And it's not in our efforts. It's Him actually coming down to us. But but the point being that they separated themselves from the crowd and went up to spend time alone with God. Okay? Now, it says uh, um, in verse 2, He was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. All right? So, what are we seeing here? Basically, we're seeing that God, that Jesus is literally, for a moment, removing the veil and allowing them to see a glimpse of his glory. Mm-hmm. Remember how he did it with Moses? And he said, Moses, you can only see my hinder parts. Right. And he said, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rocks with my hand, and I'll pass before you. Remember? Mm-hmm. And what happened to Moses after God passed by? When he came back down to the children of Israel, what happened? He had to put a veil over his face because his whole face was glowing. Right. Like God had lit him up. Right. Mm-hmm. Because his glory was so strong, it rubbed up on him. Yes, very much so. 
And so that's kind of what we're seeing here. Remember, so um, I don't want you to turn there because we don't have a whole lot of time. I'm going to turn there and read a, a, a verse of scripture for you um, out of the book of John. Uh, and this is John chapter 1, if you just want to write that note down for later. It says in John 1, um, uh, verse 9, This was the true light that comes into the world and enlightens everyone. He was in the world, and yet the world did not know him. Uh, so he is the light of the world. It says that in verse 17 of John 1, it says, or verse 14, it says this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory the glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is John talking about this. And remember, most of the world did not see his glory, did they? No. It was only the believers that actually got to see his glory. So he veiled himself in humanity. He had to clothe himself in humanity. He had to clothe himself in human flesh because God is a spirit and we couldn't see him without that. But not only that, he is so bright. He is so otherly than us. He's so holy that he had to clothe himself in human flesh because he could burn us all up. And he clothed himself in human flesh so that we could know him, so that we could understand him, so that we could... he could see his example. Well, so that he could speak to us his truth in words that we could understand. And so on this mountaintop, what we're seeing is just a glimpse of him allowing his disciples to see him in his glory. Okay? Now it says this, um, remember um, Moses um, was the lawgiver and Elijah was a prophet. Elijah was like one of the greatest prophets, okay? And so in John 1 verse 17 it says this, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized in Jesus Christ. So God gave us the law through Moses, but grace and truth is realized. There is grace and truth in the law. The the giving of the law was a gracious act from God to His children. There is grace and truth in the law, but grace and truth were realized in Christ. Why? Because you and I were not able to fulfill the law. You and I were not able to do what it said. The Lord said to see His example. Well, the reality is He had to walk the life that Adam couldn't walk. He had to fulfill the requirements of the covenant. It's also a comfort to us because He felt what it was like to be rejected. Yes. He felt He knows everything we go through. He knows how the pain of it. So we can always go to Him in our worst moments and He knows what it's like. So it says, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them um, talking with him, so he, we have this this Moses and Elijah with him. Now remember, what is what is the significance of this? Moses represents the Old Testament law, the law, and Elijah represents the what was Elijah? The prophets. Good. So we have the law, and we have the prophets, and then we have Jesus, and both the law and the prophets do what? Point us to Jesus. The law drives us to the cross, and the prophets are a reminder of that coming promise. Right? Not only that, but Moses was also a prophet. Moses was also a prophet. And also, and remember this, uh, both of them uh, were both prevalent. Moses and Elijah were both prevalent in the children of God during times of transition. What was what was the transition that took place through Moses? 
The transition. Oh, that was coming out of slavery. Yeah, coming out of slavery and into the promised land. And what do the prophets do? The prophets call people. The prophets call the people back to covenant uh, fidelity. They, what did all the prophets do? They came and they blast, put the people on blast for what? Not obeying the law, not doing what God required Constantly. of them. Huh? Constantly. Yeah, alright, so both of them um, were, both Moses and Elijah were both major players during times of transition with the children of Israel, with God's people. Um, they both had really strange ends. What was different about Moses and Elijah than most people? Uh, Moses died though. Elijah yep. was taken. Yes, but but remember, didn't have to but remember, the angels took Moses' body too. Remember, the children of Israel weren't allowed to bury him. Right. So they were both translated, weren't they? I didn't know. I uh, so, so both. I'll read Jude. In Jude, it talks about. It talks about in Jude. It talks about the devil and one of God's angels fighting over the body of Moses. Mm-hmm. All right. So. So, they both had strain ends. Um, both uh, were prevalent during times of transition. Um, Moses introduced the Old Testament, and Elijah called people to renewal. Um, they both saw God's glory. Remember at Mount Sinai? Moses saw God's glory, and Elijah saw God's glory. And... Um, both of them, and this is a very important one that we need to remember because this applies to what we've been talking about last class. Both Moses and Elijah suffered rejection. What does that mean? They both Moses, was, Moses was rejected by his people a few times for trying to get them. And what about Elijah? Elijah yes. And what about all of the prophets? I don't know a lot about them. I mean, I know stories, but to be able to well, well, I can promise you this. All of the prophets were rejected. Yeah. Their message was always, shut up, don't tell us that. We don't want to hear that. That's yeah, people always ran to them for answers, and yet... They wouldn't believe them. Exactly, right. but still, when they, when they were in trouble going on, what they do? They call for the prophets. Sometimes. A lot of times it was a prophet that came to them. A lot of times it was a prophet that came to them and would put them on blast for the way they were living their lives. They were idolaters. They were living wrong. Over and over again. And so what was the people's reaction? What was the people's reaction to the prophets every time? Rejection. They killed a lot. Their reaction was, you can't be serious. They killed a lot of them. Matter of fact, there is a passage, and I don't have it written down on my notes today, but Jesus said it this way. He was talking with those same men that were about to nail him to the cross, and this is what he said. Every prophet that I ever sent you, from Abel to Zechariah, the one that you slew between the pillars of the temple, every prophet that I sent to you, you rejected and killed. You shed their blood. You poured their blood out for their message. And what was their message? It was a message from God. Alright. So, Moses rejected. Elijah rejected. Jesus rejected. See? Moses is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, or Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophets. And not only that, Jesus is the promise of the new transition, isn't he? Right. right. So all of those things are all tied together. There's a theme and a message in all of that. That Moses and Elijah are a summation of the old promise, the old covenant, and Jesus is a fulfillment of that, and, and introduces us to the new. 
And so um, Jesus always supersedes Moses and the prophets. Everything that they write about always points to him. Right? And remember, the children of Israel, what was their problem? Why couldn't they see? Because they were thinking about, they were reading the scriptures and relating it to themselves right. and not to God and his plan. And we do the same thing all the yeah, time. Yeah, we're doing it every day. Yeah, we do the same thing. All right? So, he says, um, Peter, hey, Peter said, so of course we're late. Peter said, Hey, Jesus, let's build a tabernacle. Three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, remember, the tabernacle is a tent. That's a tent of worship. A tent of worship. And, and so it also, so every year during the Feast of Booths, or the Feast right. of Tabernacles, the Jewish people build a little outside hut, and they go all out there and stay in it for seven days. What is it a reminder of? It's a reminder of their time in the wilderness when they lived in tents. Okay. And it's a reminder that God met with them even in their wilderness experience. So who were they asking about these? So what did what did uh, what did Peter say? Hey, Jesus, let's build you a tent, uh, Moses a tent, and Elijah a tent. Now here's the problem with that. In John one, when it says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us." It really, in, in the original language, says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He's our meeting place. He's the place that we go to meet with God. Mm-hmm. All right? So what would be the point? What, why is God, why is Jesus going to, or why is our Father in heaven going to chide Peter for saying, hey, let's build these three tents? Because Moses and Elijah are just mere men. Good. The focus is on Christ. Good. That's very good. So, um, my question about Peter's statement compromises the uniqueness of who Jesus is. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. Peter's statement puts him on the same plane. With, but he's not. No, he's not. He's a fulfillment of that. All right, good. So, um, in verse 5, um, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, what did that cloud remind us of? Do you all remember the wilderness experience? Every day the cloud followed them, and God spoke to them through the cloud, cloud right? Yes. And well, well, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. God. 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 Yeah. The God was a cloud during the day Good. and fire at night. Good. All right. Now, it's also very important for us to remember that in the book of Daniel, the Son of Man would be coming on the what? Cloud. Cloud. All right. All right. Um, and so, uh, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And listen to him. Two very important things. Jesus is God's son by nature. We are God's children by adoption. There's a huge difference in the only begotten son who Jesus is. And we as children of God. If you are saved and born again and have become a child of God, the reason you are a child of God is through adoption. You are not, you do not have God's nature. So we're his foster children. We're his, we're we're heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. We get the full, we get the, we get the full inheritance. Right. But we're adopted. 
Yeah. Now, and that's that's special because remember, adopted kids never choose their parents, do they? Right. Their parents choose them. Their parents choose them. When it comes to your natural kids, you didn't get a choice. You just stuck with whatever comes out. No matter what. Right? And yet, to be adopted and be in the family of God means that God chose you before the foundation of the world. He said, she's mine. It's, it's a very beautiful thing. But Jesus is different in the sense that he is God in the flesh. He has the very nature of God. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is a child of God by nature. We are children of God by adoption. So when he says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, uh, he never he can never say that about any of us, could he? No. <laughs> right? He can never say that about us, that he would be well pleased. Now, he is pleased with us. He is pleased with us now in the sense that we have turned from ourselves and turned to Christ. And now we are clothed in the rights of Christ. So now when our Father in heaven looks down on us, he sees us clothed and he sees us as his son. Alright? So, this is my son. And then what was the next thing he said? Listen to him. Now, but it's very important to remember that when Jesus said, these are my words. So this is my son. He, would, so the, the voice was a totally different. This is the father. This is the son. Yet the pillar in the desert was Jesus or both? You're, you're trying to divide the Trinity it's up. Hard. You, it's hard to comprehend what's going on. If you could comprehend it, you were God, Lori. <laughs> You're very accurate when you say, I cannot comprehend the Trinity. Very good. I'm glad you understand that. Because none of us can. The moment that you say God is like, is the moment that you drag Him down to your level. The word holy, holy, holy means He's other, other, other. Right. He's separate. Completely separate from us. My question was not allowed to know. Okay. So anyhow, this is my son. Listen to him. All right. Uh, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. So the law... The law strikes the fear of God in us, does it not? It condemns us and puts us on our faces. And yet Jesus, and as our Savior, as our Messiah, as the one who died to to pay for all of our sins, to take away the condemnation, says to us what? Get up, don't be afraid. Right? Right? Why? Because in Romans 8, 1, what does Paul say? There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. In Christ, I do not have to be afraid. Right? The law condemns us. Because we are not as righteous as the law. The prophets condemn us because we can never do what God requires of us. But Jesus claims us as his own and died on the cross to make us uh, forgiven, to allow us to be forgiven and allow us to have hope again. And so, get up, do not be afraid. And raising their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. All right, so that's where we're going to stop today. And we're going to finish so that Lori will have a whole week to stew on her question <laughs> that, that she wants to ask me. We'll talk about it next week um, because it does sound very confusing. It said Elijah is coming, and it also said Elijah has already come. So we'll get into that next week and figure out what that's talking about. So, so really quickly, um, to, to end... 
Remember that the point of all of Scripture is to point us to Christ. And this revelation to these disciples was given to them because they were believers. Jesus only reveals Himself to believers. Um, when he when he came and lived three years and walked, uh, lived three years. When he came and lived the thirty three years that he lived, the three years of his ministry, he did all kind of miracles. He did all kind of things to show people and prove to people who he was. And yet, only the believers followed him. And after he rose from the dead, after he resurrected from the dead, the only people that he showed himself to was believers. Believers. The believers. The true believers. He never went back to Herod and kicked open the temple door and walked in like flexing and saying, I told you you couldn't keep me down. Like he never came back and exposed himself to anyone who was not a true believer in their heart. So it's only those that are pure in heart. It's only those who have the Spirit of God. It is only the regenerate children, family of God that can see him. And he reveals himself to them more and more. How does he reveal himself to us? Through Moses, through the prophets, through the writings, through the scriptures. And so that's the way that we see him. And so when we have doubts, when we have fears, when we have misunderstandings, when we have questions, <clears throat> right? The reason we do so is because we do not, none of us in this room have a firm grasp on the scriptures. They, they are a lifelong, it is a lifelong task for us to grow in our knowledge of the truth of God. And that's why we come to this class. Yeah. Yes. Uh, dwell so that no man right now has the power that God had to remember anything. To like uh, it was like a seed of a mustard seed. Well, our, our fallen in our fallen nature, we're not able to grasp the things right. of God like we were created to. Where we would yep. be six foot under four. He also said, like, say, you know, she was asking for understanding. Of, of that. Right. So, but it says even if you do, either they say if you understand it and she don't, but God also says that you're not to rely on your own understanding. Right. On your own understanding. But, in other words, if that's the way you understand it, he may not be able to reveal to you right now right. the true understanding. It may have to wait until later. But, but he also says those that seek me will surely find me. And so he will reveal the, the, the questions we have through a study of his word, through prayer and a study of his word, through coming together with other believers and reasoning through the scriptures together, he does he does reveal himself to us. And as we grow, as we mature, we are allowed to see more and more of that. All right, let's go. It's a great class today. Thank you all guys for being here. Uh, y'all have a nice week next week at Calvary. Uh, most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for this wonderful discussion that you have given us. And, and I'll be the first to admit in front of Lori that I do have a lot of questions still myself. And we need you to help us to understand you, to be able to see you, to receive you, to believe you, to trust you. We need you to help us to walk away from our old lives, to walk away from the fallenness that's in us, and to uh, walk in your path of righteousness. And so it's through your promises and through your goodness and through your strength that we're able to do that. And my prayer is that you will help each and every person here today to be light and salt for you in this world. Help us to be uh, a light for someone else to share your promises with them. Help us to allow the world to see you working in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.